This morning we're going to read God's holy word from Hebrews chapter 13. Please turn there in your Bibles with me. I'm going to simply read the, uh, the first 21 verses of that chapter. Our focus, though, this morning will be primarily on verse 17 of that chapter, the last chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews 13. This is God's holy word. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have, for He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest is a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach He endured. For here, here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And now, the main text for this morning. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Please keep your Bibles open. In front of you, we'll be looking at a few other passages from the Old and New Testament this morning. Well, dear congregation, I'm afraid that one of the lost arts of our modern age is the art of writing letters. It seems that now, in this modern time, Interpersonal communication is now simply limited to the short email, the even briefer text, 
even to one-line communication via Facebook or Instagram. Letters seem to be something of a bygone age, but maybe some of you still write letters. Maybe some of you uh, have recently dug out some old love letters written between you and and your future spouse, and you've dusted them off and, and read through them again just to reminisce. And if you've done that, I suspect you're reminded of the fact that the written letter is still one of the most meaningful and valuable ways of communicating. Because in a letter, more than any other type of communication, you can pour out your soul to another person. You can give them a a lasting impression, some last word that you want them to take with them as they go on through the rest of their life. One last word for them to cherish in their hearts from you. The passage I've just read is the conclusion to what might be called a love letter to one of the congregations of the Lord Jesus Christ. The writer to the Hebrews writes to these Christians to give them his last word, his final instructions, some moral exhortations that they are to store carefully in their hearts and minds for the coming days. And you notice that right at the beginning of this conclusion to his letter, he lays out a guiding principle for the church. And he writes this, let brotherly love continue. He says, your relationships of all kinds in the church ought to be marked by love. It's that brotherly love, love for the saints, that's to be the defining feature in the life of the church. That love is to be the evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your midst. He goes on, he describes how that love is to be applied. He says that love uh, urges you to show hospitality to strangers, verse 2. That love urges you to show kindness and remember those who are in prison for the faith, verse 3. It's love that keeps marriage pure. It's love that keeps you from the love of money and makes the love of God the greatest of all love in your life. And what I want us to think about this morning is that it's that same Spirit-created love for the saints that motivates Christians to remember and to obey and submit to their leaders, those whom God has appointed to lead and to rule and to instruct the church. And on the other side of the coin, it's that same Spirit-created love that motivates Christian leaders to keep watch over your souls as under-shepherds of Jesus Christ, who is the great shepherd of His sheep, the church. And so this morning, God's Word instructs us about the kind of relationship that's going to best serve the health and the unity and the faithfulness and the growth of Chino URC, and it's a relationship marked by three things. It's a relationship that must be marked by submission, first of all, to those whom Christ has placed in authority over you to rule you and to teach you. It's a relationship marked, secondly, by your leader's heartfelt, genuine love for the saints and their joyful service of the congregation. And finally, it's a relationship marked by all of us entrusting ourselves to Jesus Christ, who's the great shepherd and caretaker of His sheep. 
Again, we're going to focus our attention on verse 17 this morning, but we will meander around this chapter and look at other parts of Scripture as well. The writer to the Hebrew Christians begins his letter, this conclusion to his letter, with a very straightforward, a very clear command. And he says this in verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. Obey your leaders and submit to them. And this seems to us like such a difficult and unpopular demand, especially as we look at it from the vantage point of our present culture. Because culturally, I hardly need to tell you this, culturally the prevailing spirit in America today is self-determination, self-promotion, not submission to the will of somebody else. We are constantly being told in every avenue of media that's out there that the defining virtue of American is that you are able to be yourself. Americans do what they please. An American doesn't let anybody tell them what to do or put any limits on their individuality. In America, we are told, self is preeminent. And so we read this command, obey your leaders and submit to them. Our world responds, how culturally out of touch. And we need to be reminded, of course, that God's will for His church is diametrically opposed to the spirit of this age. And so the writer instructs the believers there, obey and submit to your leaders. Now, the writer doesn't say exactly who these leaders are, but it seems rather clear that he's speaking specifically of the elders, the rulers, the overseers of the church, and the pastors, those who have first taught them the Word of God. It's not to undermine the work of deacons at all, and their work is addressed elsewhere, But here the focus is on those who rule the church, rule the congregation. And we're reminded that that God has always cared for the needs of His church by appointing people to various offices. Under the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, we read that God ruled and instructed and cared for His people through various men and the offices they held. Some were kings, some were priests, some were prophets. And those offices are reflected but but perfected, we might say, in, in the New Testament. Today, reflecting the new covenant ministry of Jesus, God still rules and instructs His church through spirit controlled men who hold the offices of elder and pastor. The Apostle Paul talks about these offices as presents or gifts of God to the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says that God has has given us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Jesus Christ. So even though our Lord Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, He's still ruling His church. He's still guiding His church and protecting His church. He's still teaching us through these offices and through the men who hold these offices. Such men are gifts from Christ to the church for your spiritual good. 
God chooses to to rule the church through these under-shepherds. They rule under the authority of Jesus Christ. And that means something very important for us. It means that our obedience, our submission, is not ultimately to these men. Our obedience and our submission is primarily to God who has appointed them to this task. And so when your elders set the direction for the church, when they call you to worship, when they exercise discipline, they are doing God's work under His authority. When your ministers teach and preach the Word of God to you, when they admonish and rebuke and exhort you, they're doing God's work with His authority, and that's why you must obey them, and that's why you must submit to them. But what does that look like in the life of the church? How does that obedience and submission to look? Primarily, the writer says, it means willing submission. Willing submission. When your pastors serve as a faithful and dedicated minister of the Word, he proves by his faithfulness that God has given him this authority. And that means that he is worthy of your supportive action and supportive attitude. He's worthy of your imitation of his faith and his life. He's worthy of your joyful and willing disposition to follow His instructions for your spiritual good. You notice that the writer to the Hebrews does not say, obey your leaders willingly and joyfully so long as you agree with them. He does not say, obey your leaders willingly and joyfully when their decisions seem right to you. There's no qualifications here. The Spirit of God has placed them here to teach and to instruct and to rule. It's God Himself who has placed this chain of command within the church. Military analogies always fail in some way. But one writer says, everyone who serves in the armed forces recognizes it's important, vitally important, for the chain of command to be obeyed. Our military would be ineffective. It would fall apart if privates could ignore sergeants or tell generals what to do. Similarly, God's chain of command within the church must be followed. God's will for how the church is to operate, how it is to be ruled, should be followed. If it's not, we cannot expect there to be blessed harmony and mutual love in the church. If we don't follow God's will for His church, we are left wide open to the attacks and the advances of Satan himself. Well, you notice willing submission of our leaders to our leaders is required for yet another reason. In the last part of verse 17, he calls them to obey and submit. And he says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. We ought to obey and submit to our rulers, our leaders, and our teachers, so that they can serve us with joy, not with groaning. When members of the congregation are stubborn and rebellious and hard-hearted, 
and critical. It can rob leaders of joy in their ministry. Church members who rebel against their God-appointed leaders, instead of being teachable and grateful, they're a source of tremendous grief, not just to ministers and elders, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when we lack a a teachable, patient, and submissive spirit towards our leaders, we must recognize that that rebellion is first of all against the Lord because He's the one who has given us these men as a gift to His church. But notice something else here, that that lack of submission is hurtful to believers as well. The writer to the Hebrews says, If you do not enable your leaders to lead you joyfully and gratefully, it's of no advantage to you. To put it another way, it's a disadvantage to you. Believers get hurt when they decide not to follow God's blessed pattern for the church. John Calvin writes, it's unprofitable. It's worthless to God's people to cause sorrow and mourning to their pastors by their ingratitude. Indeed, he says, we cannot be troublesome or disobedient to our pastors or our leaders without hazarding our own salvation. But on the other hand, obedience and willing submission brings much joy to the Christian. It brings much joy to the pastor, to the elders, indeed to the whole congregation. When God's will for how His flock should be ruled and organized, when we follow that will of God willingly and joyfully, there's abundant grace and unity and peace and fellowship in the church. And so as the writer to the Hebrews asks, verse 18, pray for us. Pray for your leaders. Pray for teachable minds and humble submission to the will of Christ so that the gospel ministry might be effective, that the church might truly grow. That's the first part. Well, you might be sitting in the pew saying, well, pastor, you've been picking on the congregation for quite a while now. What about our leaders? Don't they need to be admonished as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. The first point that we've noticed is that as under-shepherds of Christ, your leaders serve as overseers and teachers under His authority. But they are also required to serve. They are required to rule in a certain kind of way. They ought to take their task as under-shepherds of Christ very seriously. I love what the writer to the Hebrews says here. He tells the congregation that their leaders, verse 17, are to keep watch over their souls. That is their primary task, to keep watch over the souls of the members of the church. In other words, it's their calling directly from Christ to regularly lose sleep over the spiritual well-being of the sheep in their fold. Much like sentinels who are called to keep watch over the city gates to spot intruders, the leaders of the church must stand guard with the sword of God's Word in their hands 
that they might slay the wolves of error, that they might destroy the lions of impurity, that might creep in and prey on the flock of Jesus Christ. Faithful leaders are watchmen on whom there is much responsibility to speak the truth and to defend the truth. I'm reminded of the way that God would call the Old Testament prophets to their office as those who would proclaim the Word of Christ, the Word of God. And the Old Testament prophets were called to be watchmen over Israel when God commissioned Ezekiel in chapter 3. He said this to him, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. Ezekiel had the task directly from God to faithfully speak and declare the Word of God, even when it warned the people about their sin. But there's a warning for Ezekiel here as well in his commissioning. If he would fail at delivering God's Word and His warnings to the people, he too would be judged. In verse 18, God goes on, if I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. And that warning to Ezekiel echoes throughout the book of Hebrews as well. Those who keep watch over your souls, the writer says, will have to give an account. On the last day, Reverend Nehemiah and I will have to answer for the work that we have done as ministers of Christ. Every single one of the elders of this congregation will have to answer for how they ruled this congregation. Did we fulfill our tasks as under-shepherds by genuinely caring for the needs of these members here? Did we nurture them spiritually through faithful preaching and teaching of the Word? Did we minister lovingly, gently to the troubled and the sick? Did we visit you in your homes? And did we make our own homes and offices places for rich fellowship and the communion of the saints? Were your leaders vigilant to stave off the attacks of the evil one, to administer discipline properly when wickedness and impurity crept into the fold? The task of your leaders is dangerous. It's very difficult. Sometimes it's burdensome. And it comes with great accountability to Christ Himself. And so there is here before the leaders of this church a very challenging charge, one that's reflected in the instructions of Peter to the congregation in his first letter. In 1 Peter 1, verse, uh, chapter 5, Peter lays out instructions for leaders of the church, and three things jump out at us this morning. First, your leaders must be joyful servants, not tyrants. In verses 2 and 3, Peter writes, "'Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion,' not just because you have to, it's your duty, 
but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Your leaders must rule by example, not as power-hungry dictators. They must be joyful, willing, able leaders. Second, your leaders must exercise their offices with humility, not pride. Peter goes on, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Close your, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Your leaders must rule in a humble, self-sacrificing way, often giving up their time and their comforts and their energy, even their convenience for the sake of the flock of Jesus. And finally, your leaders must be vigilant. They must remain alert. They must not become complacent or apathetic about the needs and the troubles of the flock. Peter says in verses 8 and 9, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. God calls your leaders to keep watch, to be vigilant against error and false teaching, to guard against temptation and sin, to not grow tired of fulfilling their task to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. That is amazingly difficult but wondrous task that your leaders have. And when they fulfill that task faithfully, to the best of their ability, under the submission to Christ, then, then they are worthy of your honor and your respect. Again, Calvin writes, the heavier the burden they bear, the more honor they deserve. For the more labor anyone undertakes for our sake and the more difficulty and danger he incurs for us, the greater our obligation to him. And so once again, pray for your leaders as they undertake this most joyful and yet most serious and difficult task as under-shepherds of Jesus Christ. But your ministers and elders, your deacons as well, will most certainly fall short in the lofty calling that God has given to them. They will grow weary in the watches of the night. They will struggle, often with tears, to make decisions that are pleasing to God and good for the church. And they may become discouraged with the burden of leadership that God has given to them. They are fallible men, every single one of them. But notice finally the primary reason for why you must still obey them and submit to them. Look at me at verses 7 through 8 of Hebrews 13. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ, 
is the same yesterday and today and forever. I, upon first reading this passage, wondered why such an abrupt change in direction calls us to imitate our leaders. And then all of a sudden, he's commenting on the character of Jesus Christ. Why? The writer's point, I think, is this, that we must submit to and we must seek to imitate our leaders simply because they have put their trust in Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our leaders are worthy of our submission simply because they serve Christ, who never grows weary in the watches of the night who never leaves and forsakes His church, who is the great shepherd of His sheep by the blood of His eternal covenant. We submit to, we obey willingly and joyfully those whom Christ has put over us because Christ, who has appointed them, is the greatest and the most faithful shepherd of His church. And that's the whole point of the the letter to the Hebrews, that Jesus is better Jesus is the greatest. He's better than all the Old Testament sacrifices for sin. Earlier in this chapter, we read that when Jesus suffered outside the camp on the cross of Calvary, He did something that the Old Testament sacrifices never could do, in that He actually put away our sin. He defeated our sin and its judgment against us. He removed that judgment, and He is now sanctifying a people for Himself. Jesus is better as well than all the Old Testament office bearers, because in His life and in His ministry, He fulfilled the offices of prophet, priest, and king flawlessly. And He's worthy of your trust, brothers and sisters because He cares for you so completely that you can be assured that He will equip you with everything that you need to live for Him. Jesus is better, and He is the greatest shepherd of His sheep because He never changes. He is eternally trustworthy as your shepherd at God's right hand yesterday when He made this world. Today, through His saving work on your behalf, through His sanctifying work in the church, and He is the same forever as the one who reigns in heaven and is daily interceding for His precious flock. Believers, the call comes out to you this morning to entrust yourself to this great shepherd. He's given you everything that you need. For life and for godliness, He has given you your leaders, the leaders of this church, as a gift to you as His under-shepherds to rule and to instruct and to love and to care for this congregation on His behalf while He rules from heaven. And don't forget that Christ is the one who equips them for their ministry. And so obey them, imitate them, for the sake of Jesus. But leaders, in the same way, entrust yourself to your great shepherd. He is the one who equips you for ministry despite your frailty and weakness and sin. 
And as you remain faithful under studies of your great heavenly shepherd, he will certainly provide all that you need to lead and to instruct this precious flock. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious Lord, we thank You that You continue to care gently, lovingly, faithfully for the needs of Your church. Although You have gone to be with Your heavenly Father in heavenly glory, preparing a place for us, You continue to intercede for us. You continue to rule and guide and protect and care for your people, your precious flock. Through these under-shepherds appointed by your hand through the spiritual wisdom of the congregation. We pray, Lord, that we would submit joyfully and willingly to these fallible men. Not so much for their sakes because of who they are, but because of who has appointed them and who is equipping them for ministry here. Help us to respect them. Help us to be uh, those who are obedient in a willing, in a joyful way. Let us not grieve them, but let us make their ministry a joyful one. Now, Lord, those whom You have called to these various offices, Lord, give them strength as well. Help them to remember the seriousness of their task, not regard it lightly. May they be men of God, men of the Word, men of wisdom, and may You equip them for their ministry that they might serve humbly, vigilantly, joyfully for the good of the saints. And Lord, may all of us place our full trust and confidence in Jesus Christ, who is the best shepherd, the greatest shepherd of His sheep, who never changes, who is eternally trustworthy, to whom we can go with our needs and the needs of the church at any time in any way. Thank You for these encouraging words, Lord. Thank You for this exhortation from Your Word. May we not regard it lightly, but may we respond in faith, in obedience, and humility to Your perfect will for your church. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.